Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Investing with IBD. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, and we are coming to you on September 13th, 2023. Joining me, as always, is Arusha Pires. Uh, we had a good, successful uh, first first week of fantasy football, won our game. So uh, that was mostly because of Arusha's excellent drafting skills. Uh, but Arusha, of course, is a portfolio manager uh, for O'Neill Global Advisors. He's not just a fantasy football genius. How you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. Yeah, we didn't have to deal with any injuries like uh, some of our... Yeah, we're very lucky. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, we also want to welcome to the show, uh, Mish Schneider. Uh, Mish has been on the uh, IBD Live, you know, uh, a num number of times. I think she's just a really fascinating guest. She's the author of Plant Your Money Tree um, and also the chief strategist at MarketGage.com. So welcome to the show, Mish. Thanks. So nice to be back, Jim and Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know what your fantasy football pick was this week. Uh, what, what do you think the best uh, the, the best well, one was? Uh, well, the, the best the best player was definitely Tyreek Hill, who's who who saved us. Yeah, uh, yeah, but so, yeah. You, you only need one sometimes. Yeah. You only need one to save your team. And um, I did think during the Kansas City game, why did they get rid of him again? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> money. It all comes down to money. money they they money. didn't plant their money tree. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. We we will have to maybe maybe send that as a a gift to some folks uh, <laughs> in the NFL. So yeah, just an idea. Christmas is coming, Mish. Christmas is coming. So um, well, well, let's get right into it. Some of the things that we're going to talk about with Mish today. Um, she's got she's got a few interesting takes on the way that she approaches the market. So she's going to share with us. Uh, in particular, calendar ranges that she uses, the six-month cal calendar ranges. Uh, she's also going to share with us the six market phases that she uses to keep her on the right side of what the market is doing, and, and a whole lot more. Uh, and of course, she's going to give us her take on the current market and uh, some of the interesting trades that she sees setting up. Of course, Mish has a lot of experience in commodities, and uh, and you know every time you're on IBD Live, it's interesting because you uh, do talk a lot about you know what's what's interesting going on in the commodity space. Something that sometimes we we forget about, we don't pay as much attention to. So it's always good to get your thoughts on that. But um, where do you want to start? I, I think the calendar range here is something that it's it's such a simple idea. I mean, it's really just kind of drawing lines, right? And once you know where to draw those lines, it can really help inform you for the for the next six months. So how did you come up with this idea? Well, Market Gage and the whole team came up with the idea, so I can't take any real credit for it. But it's really based on a seasonality. So if you want to go shorter term, you can look at a one-month calendar range, and a lot of people do, which means the high and low of the month is set on the very first day, trading day of the month. And then you can kind of help with a bias, obviously, if we're above the high, more bullish, below the low, more bearish. The six month, though, is what tr intrigues me the most, because essentially what it shows is a seasonality of the first half of the year and the second half of the year. And it's not 100 percent. Nothing is. But it's amazing how much information you can get from that. And I just want to say so. So I don't forget the seasonality of an election year is particularly important and particularly a new administration year. So even if I become a distant memory in your minds by the time we get to January uh, 2025, do remember that that is probably one of the most powerful six-month calendar ranges that you can get is when you have a new administration. So essentially, here it is, is that the first 10 trading days of the month, you get a high and a low that is set. 
And as, as you just said, Justin, you just draw a simple horizontal line. We depict the uh, high in green and the low in red, right? So very much like traffic lights, green go, red stop. And so there have been years where we have gotten follow through, where we have immediately broken out of a six month calendar range high, particularly if we're in one trend the year before and that trend reverses into the next year or even into the half a year. And then there have been years where we've broken down into the six month calendar range low and have gotten tremendous follow through. And now, so far, as you'll see this year, we're setting up where some instruments have gotten above, and I'm talking about these instruments, not even commodities. I'm talking about the actual indices and some of the more key salient sectors to the economy. Some have broken out, some have not been able to get through, some have not broken down below the six month calendar range low and some have. So that's more information. So all of this is really meant to give you a bias and information. But of course we always encourage that you use a couple of other indicators as well. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe we could start with, you know, Arusha has uh, kindly drawn some lines here. So maybe we could start with July and you can talk a little bit about, uh, excuse me, July 2022. Uh, <laughs> let me put in the year here. So we can kind of get, you know, this as a case study and you can kind of tell us how you would be using this. And, and just to clarify, when you say you look at the, the month, the first 10 days of the month, you're really talking about January and July, right? Right. Oh, those, yeah. are the, those are the resets of the six-month calendar range, for sure. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at, and we decided um, before we got on that we were going to stick to NASDAQ as an example. Um, it's very clean to look at. And what's so interesting is, I know we didn't say we were going to look back at January, but just to give you some perspective of what happened in January of 2022, the six-month calendar range was set, obviously, early on. It never cleared it. And by the time we got to the middle of the month of January, even before policy started to get, become very aggressive by the Fed in terms of raising the interest rates, it broke down under that six month calendar range low. And that became an incredible resistance point for the rest of the time until we got to July of 2022, where it reset. And so typical of a six-month cycle that was really in a very strong downtrend, when we got to the second half of the year, and this is actually a really great setup for what's happening in the second half of this year. I didn't even realize it until just this very moment. We actually had the reset in July where we got the low done right away. The high, we broke out of it as if we were going to continue to go, like the whole thing was going to reverse and I guess maybe if we had to look at the news back at that time, it might have had something to do with the Fed was done raising. I mean, that's been one of the biggest factors for rallies. Which or inflation being transitory at the oh, time. Inflation <laughs> being transitory, exactly. But instead, and this is where we will get talking to phases, we did get that breakout in July over the six-month calendar range high. And by the time we got to the middle of August, it was clear the rally was running out of steam. It couldn't clear a very key moving average, which is part of our phases. Broke back down underneath that six-month calendar range high, back under the six-month calendar range low, and then really spent the rest of the year until the very end of December uh, when people were really nervous about what was going to happen in 2023, in between that range. 
And that is also very good information because if, you're, if you have clear sailing above it or clear sailing below it, if you're stuck in the middle of it, the information that you should get from that is choppy, probably a good time not to push too many trades, uh, and maybe even a good time to kind of go to cash or look for other types of instruments that are trending. Um, and that's where, of course, you introduced me as a commodities trader. We saw why the NASDAQ chopped around into the end of the year last year. Gold, for example, was actually breaking out. So that's why it's good to, to use that not only in and of itself for that particular instrument, but also comparing it to other instruments, what's outperforming or underperforming. Mm -hmm. And then so then uh, starting at the beginning of this year, you reset the, the calendar again and we set right. the low on January 6th of this right. year and then um the high Which was on also the follow-through day <laughs> yeah and we did have a follow-through day i didn't want to get into <laughs> or, or the, the, the low i guess uh yeah right yeah right. And, and so right i mean that was what made this year these calendar ranges have been extraordinary at least the first six months of the year because we had that low put in right away in the beginning of the year and we know that all the bears came out but instead it the market reversed particularly as nasdaq and not only did it first clear a major moving average, which we'll talk about again with the phases, but then it cleared the six-month calendar range high. Then it cleared another major moving average. And basically, except for a little bit of sideways action and even March with the bank crisis that lasted a nanosecond, it never broke down under that six-month calendar range high. And then, of course, you know, it was off to the races after that banking crisis. And literally, Nasdaq went from let's call it roughly 300 to the peak that we had so far in our second set of calendar ranges from the July when it peaked out on July 19th. So almost a hundred dollars higher. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that on March 13th, it came all the way right down to the top of that uh, calendar high that was set early on, um, found support there and also found support on the 200 day moving average. And that's when, you know, kind of got the market took off at that point, or got more confidence, especially with the whole banking crisis, the, the quick banking crisis, as, as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the nanosecond one. The yes. nanosecond. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and, and Arusha, I mean that, and right. So basically what you're pointing out is that old resistance now becomes support and that you can retrace to the top of that seasonality breakout. Uh, and that's a great retracement and a very low risk opportunity to get back in if you miss the boat or you want to add to a position. Now, you've referred to these market phases a couple times. Um, so I definitely want to have you describe that. But before we do, just one clarify, clarifying question. Once once January happened and you, you got your ranges for January put in, do, do you still pay attention to July at all? The, the previous ranges, or does that start becoming less relevant? It becomes less relevant because now you're in a new seasonality. Right, okay. So the, on, the only reason why I might look back is to see whether or not um, there is a consistency that's happening like what happened um, in, in, in the first half of this year, where last year was more choppy. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll look for that as, and just in terms of a historical pattern, but I will stop looking at it. And now, you know, obviously I'm all about 2023. And even the first six months of 2023, we're not really sure what's happening in the next six months yet of 2024. 
And that is also on the basis of the fact that the six-month calendar range, if we want to just stay consistent and finish it up to where we're at right now, we broke out of that six-month calendar range again, as I was saying, on July 19th, but we immediately failed it. It becomes a reversal trade, if you will. If something can go through the six-month calendar range and then fails it, now you know that may be a decent reversal failure. And if you wanted a short, let's say, you could put your stop over the high of the day it cleared and then just sit short. And had you done that in the July, which is why a lot of people say markets don't peak in May, like the sell the May go away, but market peaks actually in July to about the September, the last two weeks of September being some of, from a seasonality standpoint, the most difficult markets and often a very bearish market. But in the case of this, if you look at the Jan, the July low, uh, we did break it in August. And so far in September, we've respected it, the six month calendar range low, as we have also respected the high. So now we're back in this choppy range. And yeah. so when people say, do you think the market's going to make new highs or do you think the market's going to make new lows? I think it would be really hard on the basis of just that one indicator to, to know definitively what we know right now is kind of what we knew at the end of 2022 is we're chopping. Yeah. There will be a major trend change at some point. And why don't you just sort of simply wait for that confirmation rather than sit here and try to guess? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and are you, uh, are you taking volume into account at any time? Because what I th- was interesting was on July 20th, when it broke below the high range, there was a pretty big increase in volume at, at that point. So not only was it failing, but it was failing with a little bit more conviction. Yes, that that may not may not be my end all be all decision as I'm just looking at the calendar ranges. But that particular day where people were probably thinking, oh, my God, we're going to new highs, new all time highs. Um, I probably on that reversal would have looked at the volume. That's a great opportunity to say, no, actually, the volume was so huge. We had a huge distribution day that turned out in, in, in volume and also in the reversal, the actual candle reversal. And then the final sort of nail in that coffin was that it also reversed under the six month calendar range high, showing that, you know, we weren't going to go much higher, at least not for a while. So Mish, you uh, mentioned the market phases a couple times here as you've had, um, as you've been going through these calendar ranges. So what, what exactly are the market phases that you're looking at? Well, I'm going to try to explain them quickly, uh, really more for the essence of them than the actual detail. And my book, as you pointed out in the very beginning, Plant Your Money Tree, A Guide to Growing Your Wealth, is really all about it. Essentially, it's a navigation system for trading. So I like to use two simple moving averages, the 50 and the 200 day. Mm -hmm. You can also do it on a weekly basis and use the 50 and the 200 week. I'll often do that to sort of broaden my time frame and my horizon. But for our purposes today, we can talk about the 50 and the 200. And so essentially these phases, we, everybody knows about a bullish phase and everybody knows about a bearish phase and people have different definitions of bullish and bearish. People will say markets up 20%, we're in a bullish phase, markets down 20%, we're in a bearish phase. But what these do is they actually gauge the six phases according to where the 50 is relative to the 200 and then where the price is relative to both of those moving averages. So what really happens is, especially if we put them together with the calendar ranges, is we start to see 
two sets of navigation systems, if you will, one which might be a little bit step back with the ranges because we're talking about a whole six month seasonality range. And then the phases which can change or stay the same or retrace and gives you another system of seeing where you are in, in place and time, depending on what phase is in. And so I know that may sound complicated, but it's bullish. Uh, and then if things deteriorate, you can go like a clock. We go into caution or warning. If things re uh, actually start to disintegrate more from that, we go into distribution, which literally is cash getting out of the market. We go into bearish after that. That would be the final phase. And then as we come out, the more positive phases would be a recuperation or recovery phase, my particular favorite. Then an accumulation phase, opposite of distribution, money starts to get accumulated into the market and then back into a bullish phase. So it really is very cyclical, doesn't always necessarily follow like a clock, but at least you know where you are at any given space and time. Perfect. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more on where we're at with the current market and how you can use some of these tools that Mish just talked about for the rest of your year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with Arusha Paris, who joins me every week, and our special guest this week, author of Plant Your Money Tree, Mish Schneider, who is also the chief strategist at marketgauge.com and uh, great in terms of analyzing the overall market, commodities uh, specifically, and just what's happening with ranges and market phases that we just went over in the, uh, in the prior segment. But now let's get into what is happening currently? So um, between your calendar ranges and market phases, uh, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but right now it's undecided. Absolutely. With pockets of strength and pockets of weakness, which is also great information depending on what type of trader you are. If you want to just trade the momentum type stuff, this, this is information that will help. If you're more of a bear and like to do more short-term trading from the downside, this will help you. And if you like to hedge and have some positions long and some positions short, this is another way to do that. But I'm gonna stay real simple because I think that we can suffer from um, analysis paralysis, right? which is why I really like these two things as good features to share with you all in terms of basic charting, if you will. So the phase right now, I mentioned that it was the direction of where the 50 was relative to the 200, and we're going to stick to the daily, and then where the price is relative to both. So let's go with that NASDAQ chart since we've talked about it a lot, and it should be familiar in people's uh, minds right here. So right now, we have been really basically chopping between a bullish and a caution phase which really basically makes sense, right? Because one day people are feeling comfortable mm -hmm. and the buying comes in and we clear that 50-day moving average, which is sitting well above the 200. And then the next day, 
something comes out that puts fear in the market and we break down under the 50. We generally like to look for two days confirmation of a phase change. So it would have to spend two days above the 50 or two days below the 50 before we would start to think that the direction is being confirmed. And caution really basically means just that, not end of days, but time to exercise some caution. So if you're looking at NASDAQ right now, we, uh, we are above the 50, we're in the bullish phase, but we're smack dab in the middle of the two ranges of the calendar range, right? The high and the low. So that's just more proof that if you had to pick a side, you probably may pick more to the long side. But if you really wanna see some kind of sustained rally, not only does it need to hold the 50, so you have a very clear risk because it's sitting right on it actually, and that's why I love these phases. When they phase changes is when not only do you get the best inflection point to make some decent money, you also get the tightest risk so that if you're wrong, you can get out very quickly. So let's say your bias was a little bit friendly to it now because of this move over the 50. You still want to see, considering the calendar range, and we're still not so far away from it, you still want to see this clear that six-month calendar range high and then keep going. And then no matter what, at least we would know one thing, and that is that NASDAQ and growth stocks are still the thing. Right. And so so it break so say it breaks out past that like 383 level or, or whatever right there. Yeah. Are are you getting more aggressive at that point as it's emerging past and saying, okay, now it's taking essentially the last a line of resistance there, or are you waiting for it to maybe pull back and test that level? Well, you know, that's a, that's a real tr trader personality question, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I am much more of an anticipatory trader. I don't like to be in when things are going wild to the upside as a new position. I'm not a really good momentum trader. Um, somebody like Keith, who is the CEO of Market Gauge, loves momentum trading. So it's a style question. And so I would say both are right, depending on what makes you feel comfortable. I would much rather be a buyer now on a probe in anticipation that NASDAQ could hold here and get out if I'm wrong, than wait another $10, let's say, from right. here to say, okay, now it's time to get in. That's just my style. Other people who have cash on the sidelines, which right now with a lot of money in money markets, I would imagine there is a lot of cash on the sideline, especially as I'm hearing a lot of people are buying bonds and selling equities, which makes from a technical standpoint, no sense, but that's another story. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily want to wait for that, but I would certainly be encouraged on a short-term basis, maybe add on a day trading type of situation, follow the momentum to the up, get out, keep a core position, uh, or just simply enjoy the ride and say, hey, I'm on the right side and I've got a cushion. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, you've you've gone over a lot of technical analysis here. Um, we spent a lot of time on the charts. Um, you haven't mentioned anything about the economic you know side of things you know they're i mean we've we briefly said okay yes people were worried about the fed but does any of that come into play with your analysis you know what's happening with inflation numbers everyone part you know paying attention to the economic data that came came out we just had the cpi for instance today um you know does any of that play into your analysis or is it just kind of all baked into the price in your in your mind well, as a commodities trader on the floor, I would have told you it was all baked into the price. 
as a person that appears on media a lot that has to talk about the economic conditions and how it relates to the market, I have become much more keen on what's going on in terms of the economic picture or fundamentals. But I can tell you at the end of the day, there is obviously the debate, does the technicals precede the fundamentals? And generally I would say almost 90% that is true. So what we're hoping is that in the technical picture, if we're looking at these two areas that we just talked about, the calendar ranges and the phases, that the fundamentals are in, in essence baked in. And we also know that the market thinks forward, right? So it's not necessarily reacting on what has happened. It's reacting on what it thinks it's going to happen. Right. People will say even as much as six months out. And that's what, to me, makes this so much fun, because I start to look at the technicals and then try to guess what is the fundamental picture really saying. So if we take what happened today with CPI and looking at the NASDAQ, which should be very interest rate sensitive, what you can say is right now the anticipation of, at least in the growth stocks, is that technology is going to continue to do well no matter what, probably led by the Magnificent Seven, because they have unbelievable balance sheets and they're not necessarily going to worry about the higher cost of borrowing. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've been. That could change, but that's, that's how I would put the fundamental picture. Mm -hmm. And to that end, are you also looking at, for instance, the small caps um, that are a little bit more maybe interest rate sensitive uh, and kind of gauging, gauging uh, strength there? Yes. And, you know, these, this is, th th these are the questions you're asking all the right questions because first of all the other thing that is in my book that people who know me will hear me talk about is my economic modern family right, right. so the economic modern family the the granddaddy is the russell 2000 and the reason why is in the modern family which is u.s centric it is the small caps that i believe give us the truest economic picture of what's happening in America. So these are 2000 small caps companies that are all manufacturing in the United States. And so that's why you can see growth stocks rally, rally, rally. But what happens is they can rally. And if at some point the Russells don't catch up, we know that point will be a short lived rally for the NASDAQ because you can only stretch so far in terms of saturation in one particular index. So with the small caps, we have a very different picture because with NASDAQ, I just showed you we're below the six-month calendar range, but $10 away, well above the six-month calendar range, um, low, stuck in the middle, but in a bullish phase. The Russells are right, and they close green today, by the way, NASDAQ. The Russells are sitting in a phase, they're in a caution phase because they're the 50 is over the 200, but the price is between the two. That's a caution phase. If it breaks the 200, it will go into a distribution phase, and it's right there. And just underneath that, which interestingly enough is at 1800, if you're looking at the Russell 2000, a key area is the six-month calendar range low. So the way I would look at that now is if the Russells can hold here, if NASA can drag the Russells up or today was just a knee-jerk reaction to fear that maybe the Fed is going to be more aggressive or what have you, then I would probably say this is a very low-risk opportunity to get into NASDAQ. But the reverse is also true. 
if the Nasdaq breaks, I mean, excuse me, if the Russells, not the Nasdaq, I meant to say the Russells, if the Russells break down from here, most likely I'm not going to be a buyer of Nasdaq up here at all. If anything, I'm going to start thinking about taking profits on some of the stuff I have money and I might get a more at least short-term negative bias at this point because we're changing phases to a worse phase and we're breaking the seasonality of the six-month calendar range. And it's following in kind to its wife, Russell's wife, which is granny retail. <laughs> and I say the two of them really, I mean, the two of them are so much about supply in this country and demand. It gets tied up with the third one I'll tell you about in a second. But the retail sector through XRT has already broken down and is really weak. It's, it's, it's well below its moving averages. It's also uh, below its six-month calendar range. So to me, from an economic picture, exactly what we're seeing right now is that the stress maybe hasn't been felt yet in the growth stocks because of the few stocks that are keeping it up but certainly being felt in the interior of the U.S. and certainly being felt in the consumer. And we would wrap that up, not the whole family, but we would wrap up that picture would be the demand side, which of course was transportation. And I like to look at IYT and the same thing, that also is show, starting to show a lot of stress. And I don't care what's happening in growth. If, if my economic modern family is declining in distribution and breaking down under their calendar range lows, uh, I would certainly, at the very least, be cautious, if not negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, what I like about this approach, and this is you know classic for any good style, is you're really letting the market tell you what to do. You have a set of rules. You're letting the market tell you what to do. And in many ways, just by looking at a lot of these charts, it's telling me that, hey, if you're going to be invested, make sure you're still concentrating mainly on those magnificent seven. Exactly. Until, to a point. Right. To a point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, even NVIDIA, which is one of them, which has had its little bit of a down move, is still overall very impressive sitting just like NASDAQ on its 50 day moving average in between the calendar ranges. So NVIDIA may be of the Magnificent Seven, the one to watch, because if that continues to fail, especially on the heels of the Russells and, um, and, and, and Granny and, and, and Tran, um, and by the way, they don't have children. They have grandchildren. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, I kind of left out the parents for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. To wrap up the family is semiconductors, um, regional banks, and biotechnology. And then I added cryptocurrency through Bitcoin uh, over the last several years. But I always say that's an adolescent. That's, that's our 19-year-old doesn't quite know what it wants to be when it grows up relative to the U.S. economy. Volatile because of the hormones, you know, lashing out sometimes. <laughs> okay, no, I, I, I get you. Um, uh, what, what about software? Uh, the, the software kind of, you know, well, that would be in the that would be in the semiconductor space. So SMH, okay. that SMH is the ETF that I use for that. Okay. And very often, Nasdaq. I mean, I've I, ha I I have a pretty vivid imagination, and once you create a, characters like this, and I have images for them. If you go on our website and you look up the Economic Modern Family, they all they have cartoons that I had created with a cartoonist here in Santa Fe, and then I had a woman in the uh, East Coast make dolls out of them. So I have actually created stories and I like to make these stories up. Like, so for example, with NASDAQ and semiconductors, 
Um, NASDAQ is not necessarily part of the economic model family, but comes in and woos sister semiconductors, and off they run, <laughs> even if it's in the face of everybody else still at home. You know, whether it's they're, they're, they're homesick in bed or they're trying to figure out whether they want to go out. And then I go through the same thing. If granny retail starts acting really well, you know, I picture this old granny at the mall just having a great old time spending money for all of her grandchildren. Well, I'm going to green light your project. I'm, I'm interested in watching this sitcom. Uh, so I'm interested in getting people to help me actually make this. In okay. I mean, yeah, just so you know, if we ever want to talk about it, I'm, I'm all down with that because I'm kind of a one woman show on that. And there's a lot there because it's real financial literacy. Yeah. By the way. Well, in our next podcast, maybe we uh, we all kind of assume a character, maybe, uh, you know, get some puppets out, you know, with, with the hands and we, we can really do it. Uh, you, you haven't mentioned too much on the commodity side, though. Um, you know, what about like gold? Um, you know, I, I read in your last kind of uh, Misha's minute that, you know, that was something that you were looking at. Uh, do, do any of the commodities, how, how, does, how do they play into your modern family? Well, that's really great because the modern family was created while the um, commodities were actually kind of dormant, right? They really came into play. But as a commodities trader, I knew that that wasn't sustainable in 2020 when the ratio between commodities and equities was at 100 year low. I mean, it didn't take a genius to figure out that there was going to be some black swan event. Could I have guessed it was going to be COVID? No way. But I knew something was coming, right? And so the commodities, they're influencers, right? So everybody has their nucleus family, but then they have their cousins and their aunts and their uncles. And so gold has always been somebody that I've looked at as sort of a, a relative um, just like utilities, I call them Uncle Utes, you know, and I have this expression of Uncle Utes shows up drunk at the door, it's time to pay attention. Um, I've had, you know, uh, Aunt Long Bonds, you know, and that was really named after with an image of Janet Yellen when she was actually ahead of the Fed. So, yeah, yeah so commodities are very influential. Doesn't necessarily mean you can't make decisions and be blind to what's going on with commodities. But if you really want to trade, asset classes and try to find the ones that are outperforming or underperforming just so that you have a more diverse portfolio, you can ignore the commodities. And what's happening right now, particularly with gold, I mean, oil's in a completely different situation. If we look at oil, it's above the six-month calendar range. It's in a strong bullish phase. So there you go. I mean, there's, there's the proof of the pitting that clear the six-month calendar range has just kept... What's interesting is the gold has not followed. So actually the daily I wrote yesterday was about the gold miners because one thing to really put the icing on the inflation cake and really finally quiet the deflationists and the disinflationists would be if the precious metals start to move and they haven't. And I'm not 100% sure why yet other than maybe we've reached some kind of normalization between core CPI and Fed funds rate. I don't know. It's a theory. I wrote about it today. But nonetheless, at this point, I now feel comfortable in saying that the gold miners got to do something because generally they tend to lead the precious metals up. Gold has rallied because of geopolitical flight to safety. Civil's rallied and then comes right back down, hasn't sustained. And I think partly because of GDX or the gold miners. So it's below its six month calendar range and it's in a bearish phase. Mm -hmm. But that's when I, as a contrarian trader, get more interested. Would I just jump in now? No. But considering 
that we've been in this bearish phase really basically since August, but we've been in a decline because we've been in very briefly a bullish phase in July for that one little run, but then immediately broke down. Now in the bearish phase, which is because the 50 crossed below the 200, death cross, right? That's, that's the death cross. The fact that we're sitting right underneath the six-month calendar range low, which comes in at 28.90, is intriguing to me. Because you would think that that would have broken down further today with the idea of higher rates potentially, um, and yet it really didn't do very much. In fact, it had an inside day, which means it traded with inside the day, yesterday's range. So now, if it gets back through that 28.90, I would feel like I wouldn't have to wait for a phase change to recuperation. I could start a position, and if it breaks down and doesn't follow through, get right out, right? So that's kind of how I'm using the phase as it's in a bear phase, which means it could get worse, but it could also get more hopeful. But the calendar range is telling me that it's breaking down, but it's also kind of really holding right underneath it, which means it might be ripe to come back through. Yeah. And so, and so getting back to, to gold, you know, one, one thing that I think a lot of chartists have looked at for the last few years, and I pulled it up on a monthly chart here, is that gold was looking like the most beautiful setup, like this huge long-term kind of cup pattern, and it just keeps frustrating people. Is there, is there a point where it, it, everyone just gives up and it can never get past that, that uh, the trading of uh, one of these more significant trading ranges? No, of course not. I mean, there's been a tremendous amount of stockpiling of gold by foreign countries. So you have to think that they're doing that for a reason. I mean, it's a scary reason to think of what, what the potential is, uh, especially since that stockpiling uh, countries are th countries like India and China and Russia, who are not necessarily big fans of the United States. Um, but that's I'm getting fundamental. Right. So I don't want to get I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the fundamental. So gold is, I'm so happy you brought up, Arusha, the, the, the monthly chart, because I use the monthly charts a lot. Obviously, we don't have time to get into that today, and maybe that would be a future session, because I use two major moving averages there. On a monthly basis, I use a 23-month, which is about a two-year cycle, and I use an 80-month, which is about a six- to seven-year business cycle, and those are important cycles. And when the market was breaking down in December, gold actually was holding its 23 month and it was above it. So it told me it's in a bullish two year cycle. It's well far away from its 80 month. It broke out of that in 2019, right before COVID, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so essentially when I look at the monthly chart, I just think it's consolidating possibly a right shoulder of a huge inverted head and shoulders bottom on a monthly basis, which could mean $3,000 gold is not so crazy. You just have to be patient. Mm -hmm. Well, when we come back, we're going to get into some of the trade ideas that Mish has right now. And some of those might be in this space. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pierce and our special guest, Mish Schneider. Um, I should also mention that for folks that are wanting a little bit more information uh, from, from Mish, of course, there's her book, uh, Plant Your Money Tree, but there's also At Market Minute. Is that right, Mish? 
Yes, that is correct. Yes, uh, for, for uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, also, you can go to marketgage.com, where she is the chief strategist. Um, but let's get into some of the, the details here, some of the individual stocks that are maybe coming up on your radar. Um, and uh, why don't we start with tech? Because, I mean, this is kind of in the commodity space. Um, you know, it, it has a little bit of coal, a little bit of copper, a little bit of zinc, a little bit of... Um, is this the one that's kind of... Uh, divesting, uh, uh, they're divesting the uh, one of their just just try to pronounce it, Justin. What's that? <laughs> just, how how you pronounce that, Molly? Molly Bidenum? Oh, oh, the, the, the Molly Bidenum. <laughs> I thought you were um, going to try to pronounce that. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, I I remember that there was some news that they were divesting one of their, yeah, there, their was, there was segments. There was. Um, yeah. I just couldn't remember what segment it is, but. Um, yeah, so tech, you know, and, and just to be clear, this is not tech as in technology. Right. This is tech, T-E-C-K, is the ticker symbol here. So go, go ahead and uh, chat a little bit about this, Mish. Okay, so let's keep it consistent for why this one came up for us as a pick based on the calendar ranges and on the phases. And, of course, on a little bit of the fundamentals to that question because it's in the energy space. And even though we have had such bad press about coal being dirty energy, et cetera, et cetera, obviously, if it's cheaper than oil, we know that whatever is cheaper than oil eventually will get used and alternative energy has its own set of issues, but we're not going to go there today. So tech right now, people say to me, well, what can I invest in now in the energy space if you think we're still bullish there? And this one comes up, but... Let me tell you, there's, I look at four time frames. Uh, so Arusha, you, you mentioned the monthly chart. Monthly chart looks pretty strong. It's above all the major monthly moving averages, not too far from the all time, well, I shouldn't say the all time high, but close to the all time high uh, that we had in uh, early 2023, uh, which was up around 50, right? So it's trading at 42. In terms of the calendar ranges, it's again in between the six-month low and the six-month high, closer to the six-month high. So if you really wanted to become more aggressive, to me, I would wait for that to clear, and that's at 43.25. In terms of phases, it's in a bullish phase. We have the 50 above the 200. And I like to sometimes throw in a fast-moving average because I like to look at what they call stack. So if the 10 is above the 50 and the 50 is above the 200, that's a bullish stack. We just got there over the last couple of days with this move. So to me, that says breaks down under, let's say, 41, which is about where the 50 is. I wouldn't wait for a breakdown under the six-month calendar range. I would say maybe not so much, quick hit, out. I would start with a small position, but I would also want to see at this point now it clear over that six-month calendar range high. I would use that to say in a seasonality space where weather can get a lot colder, than people anticipate, particularly there was a mild winter in the EU last year. I think this year we could get a surprise with a very cold one. Then this might be a, a, a good stock to look at. Yeah, it seems like it, it is just slowly getting more comfortable within this trading range, right? The, the even the volume kind of seems changing a little bit more bullish, uh, and and yeah, so it wouldn't be a surpri surprise to see it start to try to take out that six month uh, range in, in the near future. Yeah. And if you just look at the last three weeks, really, I mean, that that six month calendar range uh, is a little bit slightly higher than that, but it's not it, it, it's consolidating up here. So, yeah. So that's one. Yeah. 
Uh, so j just real quick, you know, and again, I was trying to remind myself of the uh, what was splitting. And it was actually, I think, their whole business that they were going to start, you know, splitting off. And just to be clear, this is more on the metallurgical side. So this is for the steel making. Um, so does that, you know, since that's kind of a big piece of news uh, and it was announced a few months ago, and I think it's looking more probable now, is that something that makes you hesitate because it could add more volatility or you know, the reason the company's doing it, of course, is to unlock shareholder value. Is that something that you look at as a potential catalyst for uh, a bigger move? Well, the fact that it's more in the middle, oh, God, it's at that time of day. Well, <laughs> yeah, I that's, that's not an easy that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Metallurgical. Actually, yeah, metallurgical is, is interesting to me because, um, you know, we were talking during the break about gold and gold miners as a potential space to be looked potential space to go much higher. Um, and so this would benefit either way, it would benefit from energy going up, it would also benefit from the metals and the, particularly yeah. the miners going up. So you got, you got two fundamentals possibly working in its favor, and here we go. It could work in its favor, but until the technicals really line up, there's no point in, in, in getting involved. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, I like it. I, I, I personally, full disclosure, do not have a position yet. I'm being patient. Uh, let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit and talk about Garmin. Now, Garmin, I remember this as being one of those big leaders from, uh, if you go to the monthly chart on this one, if we just start there, I mean, this was phenomenal in the aughts, uh, of course, when GPS was really coming uh, to the forefront and, you know, changing changing so much about how we get around. I mean, I tried to introduce my daughters to maps, uh, paper maps, when they were driving, and they just refused. They would be like, "What? why? Why would I ever do that? Um, so, uh, but, but Justin, didn't you, didn't you think that when the iPhone came out and when a number of these other phones, when they had maps integrated, that Garmin was probably going to go out of business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, why why would you have this, you know, separate thing, separate navigation system, you know, when you have Apple Play, all of these things, but, you know, here we are and it's it's still there. So what's what's compelling about this? What's what's new now? Okay, I'm going to tell you. So a friend of ours is a pilot and mm -hmm. he's a you know, he has a private jet. He's uh, one of the one of the 1%. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's he's way up there in wealth. Um, and, and so we, we hang out and, um, and he's been talking about Garmin because he said, he said they have a system for private, uh, uh, pilots only right now where it, it can detect if the pilot has a heart attack or something happens where it basically takes over the whole flight plan and wow. can fly the plane and land the plane safely. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of technology that can fly a plane with autopilot, but we don't have technology that can actually land a plane. And that's what Garmin's been working on. However, it's only in the private sector right now. And he thinks it's eventual that it will go into the more commercial part of flying. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been watching. Since he told me about this, which was over a year ago, I've watched the stock do nothing but crash. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and from a personal standpoint, this, this, he also has a position from 140. So he's not sitting very pretty, but he's got so much money. He's not the kind of guy that's going to care about that, like the way we plebeians would, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so... <clears throat> But I've been watching it as a uh -huh. result of him talking about it. And I noticed a couple of things. 
Number one is it's clearing on that monthly chart. It's clearing a two-year business cycle right now, while so many are still struggling, like particularly in the retail and transportation space. I mean, airlines got killed today, actually. Uh, that's number one. Number two is on the weekly charts. Uh, it's stuck between. It's it's really basically been in a recuperation phase. And it may get into an accumulation phase on a weekly basis if it clears over 111. But even before that, on a daily basis on the chart, it's in a bullish phase, right? I mean, how many things can you say are in bullish phases right now? So it's trading above the 50, trading above the 200, which is above the 50. The 10 is starting to accelerate. And guess what? The six-month calendar range high is just a couple of dollars higher at 108.23. So the way I would look at this as a trader is we're above the six-month calendar range low. So that could be your risk point. So figure around 102, you're wrong. If you really wanted to go wider, you could say under the 200-day under 100, which in a stock like this, you know, if you want to sit with it, probably risking six, seven dollars is not crazy. But I wouldn't go full guns until it told me from a seasonal standpoint that it was ready to clear its six-month calendar range high, in which case then I would say, wow, this just proved to us that no matter what the fundamentals are, Garmin has some level of a future. Somebody's buying it besides us and yeah. our friend. <laughs> well, and there's certainly, you know, the wearables. Uh, that was something that was big. Uh, my you know, my brother-in-law, he does hiking and he has Garmin equipment that really helps him in terms of even, you know, my, my wife actually made him buy some stuff to where he could communicate, you know, when he was, you know, out in the boonies and he could, you know, say, hey, I'm in trouble, you know, that type of thing. Um, Allie was just sharing that she got a golf watch that, you know, knows the distance that she is from the hole you know, as she's golfing. So there, wow, there certainly cool. is that, you know, that element, again, a little bit more of that precision. Um, but, you know, when you look at the fundamentals here, I mean, the, well, there's a lot of earnings, um, you know, red in the growth, um, you know, kind of lackluster. Uh, does any of that kind of bother you? Or are you, again, kind of looking forward to some of these uh, technologies that, you know, might be capturing the imagination. of course. Well, talk about the, the ultimate lagging indicator. Earnings to me is a lagging indicator. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see this set up and then on our next earnings season cycle, not be surprised if all of a sudden they're starting to turn a profit or at least break even or the guidance is better or something like this. So, um, yeah. Um, but again, you know, that's why the technicals are so exciting because sometimes they set up before and then the news comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you could argue even on the, on the fundamental side that maybe the this last quarter was an inflection point where its earnings are actually now starting to go positive, sales are going positive, margins are getting stronger, so that it could be anticipating the next quarter, as you said. And they could say AI, in which case, there you go, off to the races. <laughs> it's just that easy, right? That's true. You have to say it 75 times, though. So you mentioned how crypto is kind of the, the teen in your modern family. Family. Uh, let's talk a little bit about coin. Um, you know, is is this something where if if crypto gets a little bit more mature, um, what does that do for this as an investment? Because some people are digging the whole uh, volatility of it and being able to trade that. Um, or you know, is you know, what what's the potential in your mind here? Well, mass adoption is mass adoption, and certainly we're seeing that happen more and more. Um, in fact, I was—I think I read today that Cutter was it. 
one of the Middle Eastern countries was flying to, to El Salvador. And they, the speculation is because, you know, El Salvador went strictly to Bitcoin as their currency. So bold. Um, and so perhaps the Middle East is looking into that. I mean, that's that that that's really out there. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that this is the reason. More the reason is, is that you have many, many big companies, including Templeton yesterday, uh, going and filing for an ED, ETF for Bitcoin. Um, in terms of the actual future of cryptocurrency, there is no doubt in my mind that at some point there, that, the, that the whole currency-related system will be within the cryptocurrency space and that uh, paper currency will go away. Um, I think the whole banking system will change. And I'm talking about not like tomorrow, but you, know, you can kind of see, even with the metaverse, as everything becomes more virtual, so will how we pay for things and how we barter with things. And Ripple, I've been a big watcher of Ripple forever because that is a great barter system in essence that happens within a short of a second to be able to make an exchange. We just have banned it here and I know that's a whole other thing, but let's not get off track. Mm -hmm. Coinbase is there, right? It's a solid company. It's been around now. It's got some history. I like history because then I can chart it. So uh, with the chart right now, we've had this big base happening uh, really basically from 2022 until now. We've broken out of the base a couple of times, but we have not been able to get through the highs that we had in uh, August of 2022. We got close in uh, July 2023, just recently, right? But it sold back off. So this is also in terms of the calendar range, it's closer to the calendar range low than to the calendar range high, but it's above the 200, so it's in a um, uh, also in a caution phase below the 50, sitting right underneath that 50, well above the 200, and right above the calendar range low. So that tells me at this point, if we can get two closes over the 50-day moving average, which is at 86.40 roughly. And the slope, by the way, on that moving average is up. We didn't cover slopes another time. Then it's possible that not only do we have a good risk to under that six-month calendar range low, but we're going, returning to a bullish phase, given all the potential of an ETF and the fact that the SEC keeps threatening but can't really do anything in terms of regulation, that could be an explosive at least to the highs of around 114, if not higher. Great risk reward. Yeah, and what's interesting is just even looking at the volume, it's at, when it's been coming down and spent like a month coming down, that volume is so far below average. And then when it's going up, you just see these spikes. So I, I think that volume completely agrees with your assessment too, that this is just slowly building cause to, to go higher and potentially test that 116 area. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just kind of a, a final question on this and kind of to wrap up some of the stocks that you've been talking about here, you kind of painted a picture for the overall market of how, uh, you know, we could kind of go either way, you know, we're in that range. Uh, so how aggressive do you get with some of the individual stocks if they're flashing a signal for you? Are you, are you doing, you know, regular size positions a little bit smaller? Are you changing your holding period, uh, you know, taking profits quicker because you're, you know, thinking that, oh, in this choppy environment, they'll just get taken away quickly. Uh, what's, what's kind of your strategy there? Excellent question. 
Well, it's always great to trade more aggressively when everything is going in the same direction. So that brings us back to our economic modern family. They're not all going in the same direction. So that would automatically make me a bit more conservative. However, again, that's just an asset class dealing with the U.S. economy in terms of supply demand, right, and very interest rate sensitive. If we're talking about another asset class like a coin, um, Garmin probably would be more influenced by my decision not to be too aggressive. But if we're looking at coin or we're looking at gold or we're looking at oil, all in if they set up. Um, because A, it's, it's a completely different asset class, and, and, and B, it may not necessarily have anything to do with the overall market to a point, because we know that if it become a liquidity crisis in any, everything sells off. Um, and particularly with commodities, they do a sneaky thing like raise margins, and that often can be an event that uh, actually brings everything down, and they may start doing that in oil, who knows. Um, but nonetheless, that's why it really depends. But Ideally, you want everything going in the same direction. Otherwise, you want to be super conservative unless you're in an asset class that's running on its own fumes because it's got its own story. Uh, but even always, always, I always am start with my stop and what I think my risk reward is in terms of that stop. So if I'm risking two, three dollars, it's because I actually believe I can make six to eight dollars. I look for at least a two to one. I'll take some off the table when I get to a two to one, go to a no loss stop and then just sit comfortably. And in some cases might even add, depending again on what's happening. Commodities are great to add to because they go parabolic when they go. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Well, Mish, this has been great. Just kind of getting your uh, take on a lot of things here. Um, and I feel like there were a number of times where you said, you know, we don't have time to get to that now. So we just might have to have you back on so you can get into <laughs> some of those things. <laughs> but thank you for everything you were able to share today. Thank you so much, Justin Arusha and team behind. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, so, thank you. And just as a reminder, uh, the book that Mish has out is called Plant Your Money Tree. Uh, you can also follow her on X at Market Minute. And of course, you can go to marketcage.com where she is the chief strategist uh, there. So uh, thank you so much for watching this episode and make sure you tune in next week. We're going to have David Keller back on the show. He's the chief strategist over at stockcharts.com, a place that I've also seen Mish appear at. So uh, it'll be great to talk to him again and uh, see what his take is. Uh, a lot of technical action. He's a CMT. So we'll be getting a lot more technical on that episode. Hope you join us. Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.